The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. Our reading this morning is going to be Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation 21 if you haven't done so already. Uh, On this, the second Sunday of Advent, uh, we celebrate this season as an expression of God's love. Uh, We just heard about that when we had the reading that goes with the second candle in the Advent wreath, the candle of love. This is a season in which we look back on God's love. We, We read in Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave He gave his only son. This season looks back upon the love of God in the giving of his son in Christ's first advent. But this season also looks forward when the love of God will come to consummation in Christ's second advent, in his second coming. The season looks back upon God's loving promise to send his son, and he did, and it looks forward, it causes us to confidently look forward to God's loving promise to send his son again, and he will through the season of advent the love of god shines forth brightly and not just from the second candle on the wreath but from the pages of this word from the very pages of revelation i told you last week that the revelation ends with the advent the second advent of christ when he comes to bring the love that was born in a manger poured out on the cross to consummation through the completion of redemption and that's the love that we are seeing fully and brightly on display right here in revelation 21 beginning in verse 1 begin reading with me john writes then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away so a few days ago Uh, My mother told me about a Christmas gift that she had purchased for my father, waterproof earbuds. And I was like, oh, that's that's like one of those perfect gifts. You know, it's something that 
uh, somebody probably really wants, but they won't buy for themselves because, you know, it's not a necessity. It's a luxury item. In my book, waterproof earbuds are a luxury item. But my mother responded to me and said, oh, no, these are a necessity because your dad is constantly having to buy new earbuds because he leaves them in his pocket and they go through the washing machine. Hence the need for waterproof earbuds. I, uh, I think that many Christians think about the new heaven and the new earth in the same way I was thinking about those waterproof earbuds. It's a luxury item in our theology because it's not really a necessity to our daily lives. It's just more of a, a comfort you need whenever the end of life comes. To that shades, Revelation says a resounding no. New creation is not merely meant to be a comfort in death. It's meant to be power in life. This is meant to empower you. Revelation echoes the wisdom of my mother proclaiming that new creation is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Just as my dad needs waterproof earbuds to survive the trials and tribulation of the washing machine, we need for the reality of new creation to survive the trials and tribulation of this world. It's New creation does for us what, what a prize does for a runner, empowering them to persevere in the race. Or new creation does for us what the promise of a new baby does for a mother, empowering her to push through the pain. The, the promised prize of a newborn creation empowers us to persevere through all the pain, the trials, the temptations of this this life. And that is why Revelation concludes with new creation. It doesn't conclude with new creation just because that is the conclusion of our story, but because this is what sustains us in the midst of our story. Think about the original hearers of Revelation. You remember those seven churches in Asia Minor? You remember what they were going through? Persecution they were facing? Ostracization? Economic exclusion? they were to cling to Christ? What, what is going to help them persevere in clinging to Christ? They need the conclusion of their story because it is what will help sustain them and us. Every generation needs this. It's what sustains us in the midst of our story. So, for the rest of this morning, we're going to walk through Revelation 21, 1 through 8, and I want us to see the who, what, when, where, why, and how. This is what my grade school teacher told me to ask of a text. I want us to see the who, what, when, why, where, and how of new creation. Most Christians know very little about new creation. And what they do know of heaven, that's usually what we call it, right? We just simply call it heaven. And what we know of heaven, we typically have garnered more from Saturday morning cartoons than we've garnered from scripture. And heaven to us is just this lofty spiritual realm where everybody sits on clouds and has halos and wings and plays harp music that nobody likes sorry to all my harpists somebody likes it i'm sure that don't get me wrong when we die right now we do go to be with christ spiritually we dwell with him but even that is a far cry from the boring picture that saturday morning cartoons give you and most of us think of that spiritual dwelling with Christ as the end, and that is not the end according to Scripture. 
Our story does not conclude living in some lofty spiritual realm merely called heaven. It concludes with resurrection and recreation. It doesn't conclude with us being disembodied spirits. It concludes with our bodies being resurrected, reunited with our spirits. We live in a new resurrection body in a new creation. That's the, this is the vision that is supposed to sustain us through our daily tribulations and temptations and all of these things. If you don't see this vision, then how in the world are you going to be sustained? If this is what's supposed to sustain us, what's supposed to empower us to persevere, how are you going to persevere unless you see this, set this vision before you accurately and see the new creation? So let's see these six aspects of new creation. First, see the what of new creation. See the what of new creation. Look again at the first half of Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the consummation of the love of Christ shining forth brightly from this page. So it's this right here. In his first coming, he didn't bring anything with him. In his second coming, he's bringing a new creation. New heavens, new earth. This is what he came the first time, lived, died, and rose for to redeem all of creation, to make all things new. And that's what we're seeing right here. This is the second advent of Christ. For the past several weeks, we've been seeing the second advent of Christ. We've just been seeing it from a multitude of different angles. I believe that Revelation, along with the rest of the New Testament, teaches that the second coming of Christ is one unified climactic event. It is not an event that happens in stages and is split apart by other things interrupting it. Like it kind of comes back secretly here and then we've got years of tribulation and then it comes back. Y'all have walked through this long enough with me to know I don't think that's what this text is teaching. I think the entirety of the New Testament teaches that Christ's second coming is one climactic event in which he brings evil to an end and ushers in all things new. Over the past several weeks, We've gotten several different angles on the second coming of Christ and how it will bring evil to an end. And now we shift. And what we're about to get is a couple of different angles on how the second coming of Christ will make all things new. And right here, we're told him making all... Our first angle, we're told him making all things new looks like a new heaven and a new earth. What does that mean? What is the new heaven and new earth? Uh, this phrase can often confuse people because when we hear the word heaven, we think of a lofty spiritual realm where God dwells. The Greek word for heaven, uranos, it can mean that, a spiritual realm of God's dwelling, but it can also mean the sky where the birds fly, space where the planets and the stars are. We still sometimes call all of that the heavens. And you can see why that word would pull double duty. When you, when you look at the sky and you look at the heavens, these things are real, but they are beyond you. So you can see how they can become an easy metaphor for the spiritual dwelling place of God, something that's real but beyond you. And so how we determine what the word means has got to be based on context. And in Scripture, typically when this word is paired with earth, heavens and earth, it's a reference to the skies, to where the planets are. It's heaven and earth, earth and skies. It's a way of saying the whole of creation. The new heavens and new earth are speaking about all of creation being made 
new. What does that mean? You know, it's talking about all of creation, but what does it mean that it's going to be made new? Does that mean that current creation, this stuff right here that we're standing on, does that mean that all of this is going to be replaced? This is what I thought as a kid. I envisioned God with a, you know, Wiley Coyote acne plunger. It's kind of going to blow creation to bits so that God can start over. I mean, is this not kind of how Revelation has made this sound? Remember last week, Revelation chapter 20? Look back up to verse 11. Revelation 20 and verse 11. You read this. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence, earth and sky, uranos, all of creation, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. First creation flees. And now we're seeing new creation. Isn't, isn't that a new creation replacing an old creation that has fled? That's what it seems like. There are other places in the New Testament where it even feels like that's kind of a little bit more explicit. Places like 2 Peter in 3 verse 10. It says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens, runos, will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies, that's the planets, the stars, will be burned up and dissolved. Verse 12, The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. It's very metal. John, Mark, and Brad and I talk about how the Bible's metal all the time. Sorry. This has got to be what, what is meant by the word new, right? Old creation burns, gone. God makes a whole new one. Shades. Revelation has much, that the gospel has much better news for us than that. This is where we need to see the second aspect of new creation. Number two, see the where of new creation. See the where of new creation. Read all of verse 1 in chapter 21 with me. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Pay attention to this language. Had passed away and the sea was no more. Shades, this is not replacement language. This is redemption language. God's love does not replace. It redeems. This is redemption language. This is this creation that we are standing on. Air we're breathing, dirt you can go scrape up under your fingernails. This is this creation being renewed. It, it's this creation being made new. That's why, I have, if any of you noticed the title on the back of your bulletin, the sermon title is The New Creation, and the word new is in brackets. That's, that's me trying to be funny, make a joke right there. You put a word in brackets when it's added to an original quote. In other words, this is original creation. What's added to it is that it is being made new. The old is passing away. The new is coming. This is how Scripture talks about you and your redemption. When you came to faith in Christ, when you were made new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You, you, the old passed away, new has come. Yet you're still you. A whole new you, but still you. Christ has redeemed you. 
It's like, it's like when Christ himself rose from the dead. His body was made new. Yet there was no body left in that tomb. It was the same body. God didn't discard Jesus' body. He resurrected it. My friend Brad Davis likes to say of Jesus' resurrection, God started there, but he doesn't stop there. This is what God will do with all of creation. This is what it means that he will make all things new. He will redeem it, not replace it. Revelation's language, you're probably like, yeah, but Jonathan, what about those verses you read just a minute ago? Revelation's language about the earth and the sky fleeing from the presence of God, it's not literal. Like, they go. It's, it's symbolic of all sin, brokenness, and death fleeing from the presence of a holy God. We've seen that happen again and again in Revelation. The, the sin and the brokenness that now curse creation will flee, and creation will be redeemed. The, the, the same thing is being communicated when John says that in new creation, the sea was no more. Did you catch that at the end of verse 1? Like John says that new creation is creation minus the sea. Now, if you love the beach, don't feel disappointed just yet. Like, like think back with me throughout Revelation. What has the sea meant symbolically? The, the sea has repeatedly been used as a symbol of evil, like an uncontrollable place of chaos and, and death. Remember back in Revelation 13, the sea was the very place from which the beast himself emerged. The sea, in other words, has been the home of evil itself. Only God has been able to tame the sea. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, in his presence, the sea was as smooth as glass. And in new creation, he removes it completely. In other words, chaos, death, evil, eliminated. This phrase, the sea was no more, this is not teaching us that new creation has no beaches, but that it has no beasts. They have no home in the new creation. Evil's been eliminated. New creation is creation minus all of its corruption. Is that not precisely what Romans 8 teaches us? Romans 8 and verse 21 says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Creation will be set free. This creation that we inhabit right now that experiences corruption, it will be set free, redeemed as the curse of corruption is burned away. That, that is what the language of 2 Peter 3 is meant to communicate. Remember 2 Peter 3 we read just a little bit ago? It, it's not communicating that creation will literally melt in flames one day, but that like gold purified by fire, all that corrupts creation will be removed by the burning judgment of God. Fire throughout Revelation has represented the burning, all throughout the New Testament, it, it's an image for the judgment of God. That's what it images in 2 Peter 3. The judgment of God destroying all evil, all corruption. We know that because if you just go back, just go back and read 2 Peter 3 later today, and you'll see that the language of God destroying the world by fire, it's compared to when God destroyed the world by a flood. How, how did God destroy the world by a flood? Not in any sense that required the world to be replaced, but completely in a sense that evil was being removed and the world was being renewed 
In, in 2 Peter 3, the language of destruction by fire points to the same thing. Fire pictures God's judgment of evil, it being removed so that all creation can be renewed. Not replaced, but redeemed. Shades, do you see the good news of God's redeeming love? He loves the creation that he made and he has not abandoned it to sin and death and he is coming to redeem it all one day and that makes every day right now matter. Shades, if God's going to redeem everything one day, that makes your every day right now matter. I, I'll be honest, like from, from a purely materialistic, atheistic worldview, like I cannot see why anything matters. Because from that worldview, in about 8 billion years, the sun's going to burn out, no life will be left, nothing we will have done will have mattered. But if there is a God who will one day redeem matter itself, then that makes every day matter. It's, it's like the prize at the end of a race that, that gives purpose to a runner's perseverance. Or like the birth of a baby that gives a reason for a mama to push through the pain. New creation is like that. New creation gives current creation purpose, shades. Your perseverance amidst the pain of this world has purpose. It is taking you toward a prize. And it is testifying to everyone in your life of the worth of that prize. Your every day matters your relationships matter, your job matters, your family matters, your mundane matters, your, your pain matters, your heartache matters. All of it matters because all of it's taking you towards a prize and testifying to everyone of the worth of that prize and the prize is Christ. The prize is not the place of new creation. The prize is the person of Christ. This is where we need to see the third aspect of new creation. Number three, See the who of new creation. See the who of new creation. Look at Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All of this so far, what we've read, these first two verses, this is meant to remind us of the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. What do we see there? There we see God make the place of creation and then the people of creation. Adam and Eve, who he brings together as husband and wife. Here we are, Revelation 21. What do we see? We see God make the place of new creation. And now verse 2 shows us the people of new creation. And lo and behold, it's a husband and a wife. Christ and his bride, the church, new Jerusalem. If you've been with us, you know that Revelation has already shown new Jerusalem to us. Both been, it's been pictured as a holy city. It's been pictured as a faithful bride. All of it is symbolic for the people of Christ. People who throughout Revelation, the world has rejected, ostracized, persecuted, killed. But now, now, no matter what the world thought of them, now their true identity is being revealed. Just a, imagine. Imagine how 
how this must have landed on the ears of Revelation's first hearers. Did you forget about those seven churches in Asia Minor? Seven churches where faithful witness to Christ was costly. We already mentioned they could face economic exclusion, social ostracization, physical persecution. I imagine that many of these believers could identify with how the church was described last week in chapter 20. Look back at chapter 20 and verse 9. There the church, the people of God, is described like a weak wilderness camp surrounded by the enemies, the strong enemies of the world. And yet, even there, in the midst of that moment, God called them by their true identity. His beloved city. Can you imagine how these believers felt as they heard these promises of Revelation 21 for the first time that one day their true identity would be revealed. Before all of creation, all of creation would see that the church, she is not a weak wilderness camp, but a beloved city of the new Jerusalem. And she will walk the aisle before all new creation as a bride adorned for her husband perfectly prepared because he has prepared her through all of the pressure, through all of the persecution, through all of their trials, through all of the tribulation and the temptation, through all of these light momentary afflictions, Christ has been preparing his bride for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For as Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might might present one day he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish christ went to the cross to prepare his bride to pay the price for her sin so that he might clothe her with his own holiness and why the text just said so that he might present her to himself that's exactly what we're seeing right here and it's exactly what comes into fuller focus through the fourth aspect of new creation number four see the why of new creation see the why of new creation look at verse three and i heard a loud voice from the throne that's only been one person's voice throughout revelation the voice of our groom christ i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. Behold, shades. That's your application instruction. Behold. See it. The dwelling place of God. The skene in Greek. Literally, the tabernacle tabernacle of God is with man. You remember the tabernacle? The Old Testament, the tabernacle was this portable tent before they had a permanent temple. It was designed 
to reveal the very presence of God amongst his people. Wherever you are in the camp, you can look at the center of the camp and see the tabernacle of God. He's with us. He's present. The tabernacle was designed to reveal God's presence with his people. The tabernacle had symbolism of the Garden of Eden all over it. The Garden of Eden, the the original place in creation where God dwelt with his people, dwelt with mankind in a perfect loving relationship. Tabernacle revealed the reality of God's presence with his people, but the tabernacle also served as a reminder that that perfect fellowship they once shared in Eden had been broken. Tabernacle didn't just reveal God's presence among his people, it also concealed it. Not everybody could go in. Only certain people could go into the tabernacle, only at specific times and only in a specific way. By sacrifice. This is why Christ came to be the one permanent sacrifice for sin that would make a way for all of God's people to enter back into his presence, dwell with him again. This is why God originally made creation. This is why Christ died to redeem creation so that the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God would once again be with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's Old Testament covenant language. It's coming straight out of Ezekiel 37 and verse 27. It says this, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's a direct echo. In fact, all of the language right here in Revelation 21, it is dripping. It is soaked with Old Testament promises. These first three verses, these first three verses of Revelation 21 have echoes from Leviticus 26, Ezekiel 37, 43, 47, not to mention Isaiah 43, 51, 61, 62, 65, and 66. That's just scratching the surface. And the point of telling you all of that is to show you this is God fulfilling every promise He's ever made. This is the consummation of all that He has ever covenanted with His people. This is redemption brought to completion. This Him coming to dwell with His people. This is what all of redemption history has been pointing towards. Through the tabernacle, God was coming to dwell with His people. Through the temple, coming to dwell with His people. Through Christ, coming to dwell with His people. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, coming to dwell with His people. All of redemption has been aimed at God coming to dwell with us again. It has been aimed at us knowing Him as Emmanuel. God with us. One day, Shades, one day we're going to get the full and final answer to that song that we sing every year at Advent. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. For one day he will fully and finally come. And we will be the fully and finally ransomed captive Israel to present, to be presented to him as his bride, the new Jerusalem. We will be his people. He himself will be with us as our God. Shades, you will get God and he will have you. This is the why of new creation. This is why he's making all things new that you might know full forever joy in Jesus. Is that not what verse 4 is indicating? He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. In other words, the sea will be no more. I was talking about this passage with a friend of mine, uh, Daniel, last night, and he said to me, 
just reflecting on this passage, you said, Jonathan, this is beautiful because it means your tears aren't hopeless. Your mourning is not like those who have no hope, for God will lovingly one day wipe away every single tear. All right. Shades, everything that we're talking about right here, if you want to see it lived out, I would encourage you to listen to a talk by, read a book by Joni Erickson Tata. This is, this is an amazing Christian woman who, as a young person, uh, was paralyzed from the neck down, became a quadriplegic. And she has just lived a faithful life before the Lord. And I love what she says, reflecting on these words about God will wipe every tear away from our eyes. She says this, I find it so poignant that finally, at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to. Because God will. Shades, your crying doesn't conquer. Your pain's not pointless. Even death cannot render your life purposeless, for God will redeem it all and reverse death itself through your resurrection. And I think the question that echoes in all of our hearts when we reflect on these things is yes, but How long, O oh Lord, when will you bring redemption to completion? This is the fifth aspect of new creation we need to see. See the when of new creation. Look again at verse 5. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, literally the first things. You remember from last week? Revelation uses, the, we saw Revelation uses the terms first and old when it's describing things that belong to this temporary age. It uses the terms second and new when it's describing things about the permanent age to come. So death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. When? When this happens. For the first things have passed away. We are simply told concerning when this will happen is that it will happen when the first things pass away. To which you naturally ask, when will that be? To which I naturally respond, no idea. I know I probably got your hopes up when I said that we're going to see the when of new creation. But no one knows the when except God. At least we don't know when new creation will be brought to completion. But we do know when it began. New creation began on Easter Sunday morning when, death, when the death of Christ was reversed and he walked out of the tomb. Having conquered sin and death, he was the beginning of the reversal of the curse, the beginning of resurrection life, the beginning of new creation itself. We may not know when new creation will be brought to completion, but we know that it is a win for it has already begun. And the one who started it says he will finish it. Look at verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy, 
faithful. These words are faithful and true. These words coming from Christ are faithful and true. That phrase right there is meant to snap our minds back to Revelation chapter 3, where we heard Christ himself called faithful and true for the very first time. And there we read this, Revelation 3, 14. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Christ, the beginning of God's creation. Yes, the beginning of his original creation, through him, we're told in John chapter 1, through him all of creation was made, but Christ is also the beginning of God's new creation. For when God raised him from the dead, he began new creation and all things will be recreated through him. He is the one right here who says in Revelation 21.5 that he is making all things new. And we can say those words are faithful and true because his work and that has already begun. In other words, Christ, Shades, do you see the argument that I'm trying to make right here. If Christ has been resurrected, then we can rest assured the rest of creation will too. Christ has been resurrected. He is the beginning of new creation. And that makes his word faithful and true. He will do what he says he will do. He will make all things new. If Christ has been resurrected, we can rest assured the rest of creation will be resurrected too. We may not know when new creation will come to completion, but we can know it is a when. For in Christ it already began. Jesus, it's already begun in you. It's already begun in me. If anyone's in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. Old passed away, new has come, and that new creation will be brought to completion even in you. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he who began a good work in you, a good work. Isn't that how God describes his work of creation? It is good, and that's how he describes his work of new creation. He who began the good work of new creation in you will bring it to completion when? At the day of Christ Jesus. It is as good as done, shades. Jesus says so in verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. Christ says, I am the Alpha, I am the beginning. I'm the one who brought about creation. And I'm the Omega, I'm the end. I'm the one who will bring creation to consummation. I'm sovereign over the beginning, sovereign over the end, sovereign over everything in between. Therefore, I can say to you, new creation is as good as done. Does that feel insane to you, Shades? To hear these words of Christ about new creation, it is done. To hear those right now, sitting in the midst of current creation, does that sound insane to you? Like in the midst of our world that is broken and bleeding and filled with death does it not feel insane to say about new creation it's done that's how certain i am at this moment the new creation will come it's as good as done that that's almost as insane as declaring that you've conquered while you're being crucified like in the midst of being broken and bleeding and next to death does it not sound insane to declare the victory it is finished that's how certain christ was that he had won shades he had shades shades look back at his words from the cross it's finished and from the doorway of the empty tomb you can see his words were true 
And let that stir up faith when you hear his words right now in Revelation 21. In the midst of this world, will you bear your cross and you hear his words, it is done. Have faith that it really is, it really will be. Have faith that one day when the new creation comes, we will stand at the doorway of old creation's tomb and see that Christ's words were in fact true. When the first heaven and earth pass away all things are made new you will see that christ was the faithful and true witness the beginning of all creation this is the win of new creation not that we know when it will be but that we know there will be a win it's coming and this leads us to want to see the sixth and final aspect of new creation this morning the how i want this what we've been seeing, what we've been talking about, I want to be included in this. This new creation. Right now, I want to be included in it. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old's come, new, uh, old's gone, new's come. And right now, I want to be included in this. And I want to be included in it when it comes. How? Number six, see the how of new creation. Look again at verse six. And let's read all the way through verse eight. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second permanent. All of those descriptors right there in verse 8, the cowardly, faithless, detestable, so forth and so on. Those are ways that Revelation has described to us those in the seven churches of Asia Minor who claim to be a part of the church, but their lives proved otherwise. You remember as we went through the letters to the seven churches, we saw lots of people like that claim to be a part of the church. Their lives proved... Otherwise, they proved themselves to be faithless by participating in the detestable practices of Babylon-like societies. They participated in idolatries and the sexual immoralities of their culture in order to be accepted. Revelation's summary word for these people is the last one that it uses in verse 8. Liars. Pseudes. You can hear the root of our English word, pseudo there. These were pseudo-Christians. False believers. They, they did not cling to Christ. They ended up clinging to anything and everything else in life. And we're told they have no part in the new creation, but only in the second death. This is a warning. It's a warning to those original seven churches. It's a warning to every believer in every age. It's a warning meant to call us away from faithlessness to faithfulness. This warning is meant to shake us and wake us. It's meant to call us to perseverance, to cling to Christ. All of Revelation has been a call to those churches and to us, to the church in every age, a call to perseverance, to cling to Christ. Because perseverance shades is how we make it to new creation. 
Revelation has presented that over and over and over to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who conquers, to the one who perseveres, who clings to Christ. All the promises in Revelation have been made to the ones who conquer, to those who persevere. Do we not see the same thing right here? Look at verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage, or literally this inheritance, new creation. You want it to be your inheritance? It goes to the ones who conquer. The ones who persevere will make it to new creation. So that leads me to conclude perseverance must be the price we have to pay in order to be included in new creation, right? Let me muster this up. Conquer. Perseverance is the price i got to pay to make it. Shades, shades, shades. Don't think that way. That is a grave mistake that leads to the grave. Revelation refuses to let us make that mistake. Perseverance is is the way we make it to the new creation, but it is not a price that we pay. It's a grace that we embrace. Perseverance, please get this shape. Perseverance is not a price that we pay. It is a grace that we embrace. Look again at the end of verse 6. Jesus says, to the thirsty, I will give. I'll give this to you. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, without price. Why? Because Christ paid the price to give you this water of life, to give you himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the water of life. We're going to see that next week in Revelation 22 and verse 1 because the water of life flows from the very throne of God. He is its source. He is the water of life and He gives Himself to all who admit that they are thirsty. To all who will say, all of my idolatry and all of my immorality cannot quench. That's where I've been going to try to quench the thirst of my soul. And it can't quench the thirst of my soul. To all who come to Christ saying, my soul is thirsty and you alone can satisfy. We call this repentance, Shades. Repentance is turning from depending upon yourself or anything else and turning to trust in Christ. Turning from self and turning to Christ. To all who come to Christ saying, my soul is thirsty, you alone can satisfy. All who turn to Him, cling to Him, He gives freely the water of life Himself. And the water of life, He satisfies your soul, gives you new life. He empowers perseverance. Perseverance is not a price that you pay. It's a grace that you embrace. You embrace Christ. You cling to Christ and He gives you the water of life that empowers you to persevere. Do you see how that works? It's like water sustains a runner. The water of life sustains us in this life. You cannot pay a price for it. You can only embrace it. Embrace Christ Cling to Christ. Perseverance is not a price we pay. It's a grace that we embrace. The power to persevere is provided. It's being provided right now, Shades. In this moment, Christ is giving you the water of life. In this moment, right now, through the proclamation of the Word, power is being provided to you, to me, right now, through Revelation 21. As this truth, as all these truths of new creation are held up before us, the Spirit is taking, wielding the Word to pierce our hearts with its truth, to pour the love of God into our hearts, to pour out the power to persevere. 
As the Spirit holds up these truths of new creation, it's like He's holding up the prize at the end of the race. And the prize provides power for the runner to persevere. It's like He's holding up the promise of that new baby, a newborn creation, the promise of that new baby that empowers a mama to push through the pain. New creation empowers our perseverance amidst this current creation. Right now, through the Word, Christ is at work empowering perseverance, empowering us to cling to Him so that we conquer. Last thing, look at verse 7 one last time. The one who conquers. I want you to see that this doesn't happen in your power. That Your conquering only happens by clinging to the one who has conquered. The one who conquers will have this inheritance and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is massively weighty language because it comes straight out of 2 Samuel and verse 14. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. In 2 Samuel, those are God's words. God's words that he is speaking as he makes a covenant with King David. And he is saying to David, one day I will provide you with an heir who will reign forever. I will be to him a father. And he will be to me a son. I will provide you with an heir who will sit on your throne and reign forever. That promise, we know, was fulfilled in Jesus. A descendant of David, the very son of God, born in a manger, crucified on a cross, conqueror of the grave, who will one day return to claim his inheritance, all of creation made new, and he will reign forever. But shade, so will you. It's not just his inheritance. It's, it's yours Two, that's the mind-blowing truth of Revelation 21 and verse 7. Do you see it? That promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7, that promise fulfilled in Christ, here it's applied to you. It's applied to me, to all who cling to Christ. He is our God, and we are His sons that will receive His inheritance and we will reign forever from His throne. It doesn't get more mind-blowing than this. Christ's sonship is ours. His conquering is our conquering. His inheritance, our inheritance. His reign, our reign. We inherit new creation. And just look at Revelation 22.5 that we'll look at in detail next week. It says we will reign over new creation with Christ forever and ever, just like we were originally created to do. Shades, this is the new creation that's coming. All things made new so that Christ will eternally be Emmanuel, God with us, with his beloved bride. We may not know when, but we know that the resurrection reversal has already begun. His tomb is empty. Redemption is at work in us, preparing and empowering us to persevere until this new creation is here. Do you see it? Shades. This Advent. May we look back at the love of God that came to begin new creation. And may we look forward to the advent that will bring God's love to consummation. Through all of this, may we experience God's love in the present.
empowering us to cling to Christ as we live between.